Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be going down to the Salt and Light basement and bringing up some of our favorite conversations of 2013. Sister Marie Paul Curley joins us at the beginning of the show to tell us about her Saints Alive books. And then we speak with Mark Mallet, who has two new albums, Vulnerable and Here You Are. In our second half hour, we speak with Catholic convert Mark Shea, who makes a case for sacred tradition in his book, By What Authority? And we conclude the program by speaking with Audrey Assad about her album, Fortunate Fall. We begin now with Sister Marie-Paul Curley and Saints Alive. The church calls us to holiness. That's the universal call to holiness. And there are lots of books out there that aim to help us in our journey to holiness. But there are two new books published by Pauline Books and Media, Saints Alive, The Gospel Witnessed, and Saints Alive, The Faith Proclaimed. And the co-author is our very good friend, Sister Marie Paul Curley. You know her well because she's on this program once a month, giving us her windows to the soul to movies. Well, she took some time off watching movies in order to research and write these books. And I spoke to Sister Marie Paul about her books a few weeks ago. So Sister, it's great to have you. Um, why, did, why do we need more books about saints? Oh, because we always can learn new things from the saints. Uh, they lived, uh, you know, there's, there's such a huge diversity and variety of the saints out there when you start really delving into their lives. and. Uh, so these books, I mean, we, the team of us that came up with the idea and then decided to write them, Sister Mary Leah and I, we uh, wanted to make the saints accessible. We wanted to help people to see that they're real people, that they lived their call to holiness just like we're called to live our call to holiness. And so we, we put them into stories. They're, they're novelized. They're dramatized. They're like reading short stories right. rather than right. so an actual account. It. Well, <laughs> we tried to do as much research as possible, but we did add, you know, lines of dialogue, things that like, you know, St. Francis' mother could have worried about yeah. when he was going off to live his... Being a crazy... Yeah, he seemed like a holy fool. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 so we put little details in. Uh, okay, speaking of making it up, because the one that, and I think I already asked you this when I first read the book, St. Mark. Oh, yes. Where does that story come from? Because clearly there's no story of St. Mark as a boy. Right. Or is this one that you didn't write? This that's that's Mar- actually Mary Sister Mary Leah wrote that one. But I, I'm guessing... St. Mark the Evangelist as a little boy. I'm guessing that it came from some of the, uh, the, some of the writings. The apoc- uh, Some of the apocryphal writings. Or just writings uh, from that time that weren't considered the inspired word so, of God. So clear, I mean, it's not necessarily... I mean, I, and I don't want to imply that, that, that it's all made up <laughs> at all. I mean, these are the, the real stories of the real saints. But uh, so why do why is it important to dramatize them? Basically, to help uh, it, it, to help people who don't know anything about the saints to kind of understand or to get into their lives to kind of encounter them really for the first time, perhaps. Right. Now, if you already know the saints, it's it's kind of fun to see oh to what it, what yeah, moment yeah. of their life because they're short stories. What moment of their life did you know did they choose to dramatize like we tried to pick key moments where they really yeah. made a choice for god yeah. Yeah, yeah. or they made a choice to follow their vocation and uh and so those are powerful but then also we kind of threw in uh, a lot of factual information at the end so there's right. there's the notes about their lives and then there's also the lesser known facts 
Um, they, I will say this, they are very well researched. I spent a lot more time <laughs> researching time than writing. <laughs> no, that's yeah. great. So yeah, at the end, each saint has a, there's a prayer, there's the, the facts, notes on the person's life, yeah. facts, and then, and then a quote. Yes, uh, right? always a quote from their writings whenever, or something they said whenever we could find it. So it's it. also useful for catechists, oh, yes. homilists. Yes, we've, we've actually matched up saints to different sacraments and the Beatitudes and different passages and scripture from Scripture. Passages. I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. So why, yes. was that the original idea? Oh, wouldn't it be neat if we could find a saint for each sacrament? Well, yes, you know, um, the church has been talking for a little while now about presenting the saints in conjunction with um, the truths of our faith, like to kind of show how do you live this particular virtue. Right. And um, it's in a lot of the church's uh, recent catechetical guidelines. And so we decided, well, let's let's actually take that and really make it practical. Let's make the saints really practical. So so there are two books, Saints Alive, The Faith Proclaimed. This is the one that you have About a the saint for each beatitude. Beatitude and, and the sacrament. And for each sacrament. Yes, yeah, so we have actually, two saints more for than each. Two saints for, for each. each, yes. But it's organized in the same way. There, there's notes on their lives, Fun facts or lesser known facts? The lesser facts. known facts are the fun facts Quotes. because, yes, of course, they're the ones that even if you know the saint, you may not know this about them. Yeah, no, it's and neat. So it was fun. And then Saints Alive, the Gospel Witnessed is the one where you've matched each saint with a particular scripture, scripture passage. Passages. How did you pick the scripture passages? Did you, you know, pick the saint first and then the scripture passage? The chicken and the egg? You know, I have a feeling it came out of both. I made some suggestions. Sister Mary Leah organized that book and I organized the faith oh, proclaimed. Okay, okay. So matching the saint, I will say matching every saint with the beatitude. Like sometimes I had five or six saints vying for like one beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. So it really became a, a, a choice a of... <laughs> yes, it was It was like... Which saint is stronger? <laughs> well, uh, well, which saint uh, can provide another perspective on how we can grow in holiness? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which saint is from a different part of the world? You know, we wanted to get saints from all walks of life. We wanted to get a lot of lay people in there, yeah, a lot of lay you, and saints. And you did, you did that. I mean, there's, there's, there's saints for every every culture, every continent, every language group. We tried. We really tried. Men, women. Because we're all called to holiness. Children. Children as well. Young people. Yes. Religious people, ordained people, married, married, married couples. couples, yeah, yeah. One saint that really inspired you. Oh, uh, blessed Peter Tarot, who is a saint from Papua New Guinea, okay. who is considered a martyr for marriage. Um, basically, his village was converted to most of his village was converted to Christianity around the time that he was born. Like it, Christianity had been around for 20, 30, 40 years, right. and um, so he became a catechist in the village with, with a very large role. He didn't just teach religion one hour a week. Right. He really was a pastor. Did you leader. say Papua New Guinea? And he was in Papua New, Papua New, Guinea. New Guinea, and he never moved away. He never traveled. He wasn't that well educated. It, he was considered well educated for his village because uh -huh. he he listened. He studied with the priests. But he was just an ordinary guy. Matter of fact, his sister, after his death, called him. He was extraordinarily ordinary. And I love that because he was just, he loved to eat. He was very proud of his kids. Um, he fought with his wife when they were first married. He's just an ordinary guy. And yet, when it, world, during World War II, the Japanese actually conquered that part of Papua New Guinea. And to create chaos, to mm -hmm. kind of divide up people, they uh, in the villages so that they wouldn't have to worry about you know the people uprising. They wanted to use it as a base for military support. They uh, uh, started saying that polygamy was was okay, was legal, and so he was trying to protect uh, the young people of his village and really standing up for for the values of of, really? of the sacrament of matrimony. 
and he was uh, he arrested was and then actually executed without trial. He was in prison for some time and then executed. Interesting. So he was standing up for marriage. Marriage. So beautiful. a saint for marriage. How beautiful is that? And so he's the sacrament of marriage. Yes, he in is. In the faith proclaimed. He is. He is. Interesting. Now, so, you know, we're always told that, I mean, a saint is not just someone who's in heaven, although they are, mm -hmm. but it's someone who's been set apart as a model. Yes. God says, or the church says, this person's not just in heaven. There's probably a lot of people in heaven, that, but they haven't been canonized. Right. right. Um, so how, how are these people models of faith for us? Do we have to proclaim our faith and proclaim the gospel and witness the gospel? Is that enough to call ourselves saints? I think yes. Saint, we're all saints in the making. I think the important mm. thing is to see it as a journey, uh, that we're all growing in, uh, in living our, our life in God, living, growing in faith, hope, and love, which is basically the essence of even a canonized saint. They look at faith, hope, and love in the person's life. Right. And so we're all called to do that. But yes, I think a key part is living our faith and then proclaiming it through our example, but also through our words and actions and our choices. So. Yeah, I think the saints, you know, they're models, but they're also friends. And mm. I, I pray, there's a couple of saints I really pray a lot to. Who do you pray I, a lot to? Oh, I pray a lot to St. Paul uh, as my patron, yeah. a daughter of St. Paul. Yeah, okay. Sister Mary Paul. All right. Um, because of his, well, because of his huge heart yeah. and uh, his passion yeah. for living, for living Christ. But I also, you know, there's other saints that I, I well, I loved researching all of them. Yeah, but I, no, yeah, there's so many. Yeah, I, I can't even pick stuff. favorites anymore. I have so many favorites. I have now some good ones. St. Ignatius, St. Francis Xavier, St. Catherine of Siena. Oh, yes. Um, All of those are great. Blessed Cat. Oh, she's St. Catherine. St. Catherine. Anyway, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing the books. They're co written with Sister Mary Leah Hill. Yes. She's also a daughter of St. Paul. Yes. Um, uh, published by Pauline Books, books and, media. and Media. Pauline Books and Media. And so if people want to find out more, they should just go to pauline.org. That was a conversation I had with Sister Marie Paul Curley, our Windows to the Soul correspondent a few weeks ago. She is the co-author of two new books, Saints Alive the Gospel Witnessed and Saints Alive the Faith Proclaimed. You can get them at pauline.org or if you are in Canada, you can also call 1-800-668-2078. That's 668-2078. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Mark Mallet, with Here You Are from his new album, Here You Are. Mystery upon mystery.
burning for you. You are the grain of wheat for us, your lambs to eat. Jesus, here you are in the disguise of bread. It's just as you said, Jesus. Here you are. I'm on my knees right now, 'cause you are here somehow. Your lambs to eat, Jesus. Here you are. In the disguise of bread, it's just as you said, Jesus. Here you are. I'm on my knees right now. Here somehow, Jesus. Here you are. The angels they are here. Saints and martyrs they are near. Jesus, here you are. Jesus, here you are. That was Mark Mallet with "Here You Are" from his album of the same name. Now, since we last spoke to Mark Mallet, he's been quite busy. Two new albums, "Vulnerable" and "Here You Are." "Vulnerable" is a wonderful collection of 13 beautiful original songs that speak of love, loss, remembering, and finding hope. And "Here You Are" is a collection of some of Mark's rarely heard songs uh, about Mary from his Rosary Chaplet CD, including two new songs. One that we just heard, "Here You Are," and uh, to tell us about these two albums and what about what he's been up to, I'm now joined by Mark Mallet. Mark, welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks, Pedro. So I, I, I was going to say that you've been busy. Well, I said you're busy with the two albums, but you're busy with like chickens and 
cows and <laughs> hay. I guess not anymore. But the, you're you're like really doing the farm thing. Well, you know, it's it's we do a little bit of sustenance farming here, so we we just feed ourselves. We uh, have our own beef and eggs, and uh, we milk the cow every day. And it's uh, when you have a family with as many kids as we do. We have eight kids, uh, seven of them still at home. Uh, uh-huh. You got to do what you can to kind of cut the food bill down, and that helps. So, so really, you're you actually sustain yourself. You haven't you grow all your own food. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we have a big garden, and uh, we do the best we can to to eat off of the the land, and it's 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 neat. It's it's a beautiful thing as well to to enter into that dance with creation and see how how um, creation beautiful. gives back when you give to it. I should I should have called you around Thanksgiving time. I guess it's it's Thanksgiving in the United States coming up. But so that'll Canada, work. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I guess it gives you a whole new appreciation of like I love the the dance with creation but also just appreciation of of what we have and how we work for what we have that's mm-hmm. much yeah. more tangible nice um which is what i think i like how's that for a segue what i like about at least the vulnerable album that it's not and, and i've never gone as far to say you know mark's i mean you're catholic but it's not like your music is catholic in that in this in that sense but i love it because it's you know songs of, of people and love and loss and remembering and hope. Um, I think there's something different about vulnerable. Am I right in saying that? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, it, it's similar in some ways to my um, second album, which was Love Holds On. And in uh-huh. fact, Love, the Love Holds On album uh, was playing on secular radio stations across the country. And, yes. And it uh, did well. This new album... I wanted to write songs. Well, I, well, I should say I wrote songs. Uh-huh. It's what the Holy Spirit inspired. Were just songs that dealt with my own pain of loss, of suffering, and of love. And uh, you know, we as Christians are called to transform the temporal order. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we look at a tree and we say that's a beautiful tree. We don't say that's a Catholic tree. We just say <laughs> it's a tree. Yes. And so it is when we look at creation and in our relationships with each other. We don't. We don't call a relationship, per se, a Catholic relationship, mm-hmm. because it's good. We just say it's a good relationship. And so I really wanted to make an album that would touch so many people, that would, but still bring the light of faith into it, to bring the light of hope, the light of true love, and, and what, in a word, beauty. Right. And to make the music beautiful, but something that people can identify with. What really makes the album vulnerable, I think, different is I think that you've got, you do have four or five spiritual songs on them. I mean, one of them called Sweet Blessed Mother. Is, uh-huh. is, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a blatant hymn to our mother. And uh, CC that you just heard. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, these are songs that speak to our Lord. Because I think that it's, um, it makes no sense to have a kind of schizophrenia where I say I'm spiritual and I'm Catholic, but I'm not going to sing about spiritual stuff because, you know, I don't want people, I don't want to put up my, my faith, uh, my person. it's personal, you know, I don't want to foist it on people. But that's yeah. schizophrenia. If I love my wife and I love my Lord, I'm going to sing and write about both. And Vulnerable is a really unique album in that you, you can be listening to one song that you could hear on the radio, and then all of a sudden the next song you could be hearing after Mass. And even, but I, I even think that you sometimes do it in the same song. I, I mean, even a song like Beads that's in the Here You Are, and it was in your Rosary Chaplet. Right. Um, it's not, I mean, other than the fact that it's a song about people who or, you know, a family that prayed the rosary. It's really just a song about family, in yeah. a sense, right? Or, or 
That's um, right, passing on a, a tradition. A tradition, family. exactly, yeah. But, yeah. but sort of, you know, it's like you, you built, it's who you are. So you, if, if your faith is part of your marriage, <laughs> which it is, and part of your family experience, then when you talk about family and marriage, you're going to bring in that part of you, which is your faith. You know, I, I guess another way to put it is, is to be beautiful isn't to be Catholic. To be beautiful is to be human. Uh-huh. And Catholicism helps us to become that, to become fully human. And I think that's what I'm trying to do with this album. Is, is, it's the incarnation, is to incarnate our faith into everything. And so that means that I may sing a song that, that doesn't say anything about Jesus, but yet it does speak about life and love and fidelity. And, and that, you know, Jesus said, I'm the truth. And even though I may not say the name of Jesus, I'm still mm-hmm. speaking and singing the truth, and, and that's him still in the song. Amen. Absolutely, and I even think you've you've you've, if I can use the word, succeeded, in, in actually making the whole album a vulnerable experience. Mm. Um, that song, and we're going to pr- play it at the end of the show. Vulnerable, it's a beautiful song. But even the and they danced. It's a great song called and they danced. That I can't I can't hear it. And I've been playing it in the car. I can't hear it and not choke up. There's just something about that that really t- makes me vulnerable listening to it. Right. And there's, I think there's a grace. I mean, if you say that the songs are inspired by the Holy Spirit, then there's def- definitely a grace. How do you go about to write a song like that? Well, I, I never force. Um, I mean, when I first began my ministry many years ago, I was writing two, three songs in an hour. And, and they were songs that would actually make it onto an album. I mean, it was just prolific. Right. Uh, the Lord was just pouring it out. Now, now, Pedro, I write maybe one, two songs a year, and if I don't, I don't worry about it. Right. I just wait for the Holy Spirit. And uh, it happened to me last week. In fact, I was just sat at the piano, and uh-huh. all of a sudden, here came a melody. It was beautiful. So now right. I'll go back and I'll put words to it, and and it may not do that again for another year. But that's okay. So, so an album like Vulnerable, are you saying years in the making? I, you know, one of the songs, Too Close to My Heart, was a song uh-huh. I wrote when I was 15. Oh, my goodness. And I used to sit on the steps in our stairwell at home and sing it with my sister. Really? And four years later, she passed away. And oh. so now this song, and the song's all about losing somebody that you can't mm-hmm. you can't hold and embrace. And so now that song is, you know, it's really a song for her on that album. And um, Right. Yeah, so that was written, you know, 30 years ago. Wow. And and you really, I mean, the, so there's the songwriting process, and then there's a whole production process as well. Are you, you're the producer of your own albums, or do you work with other producers? Because, uh, I mean, the orchestrations, and I know, like, there's one song that you sang, I guess it's CC with Kathleen Dunn. You bring in other artists to collaborate? Is that how you? Yeah, Kathleen Dunn, beautiful Catholic artist. Uh, yes. Who, um, who's in the BC area now, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know, we collaborated with people all over North America on this album, and technology lets us do this through the internet. Yes, but yes. We use the uh, Nashville String Machine, the beautiful orchestra in Nashville. Right. You'll hear the strings are live. Uh-huh. Uh, we used a cello player from, uh, from America, a dobro player from down the States, a uh, beautiful backup singer in Vancouver. I mean, on and on, and it just went, we spent a lot of money in this album to make it beautiful, and Mm-hmm, uh, we'll probably never get our money back, but but you know at least uh, you know to hear that someone like yourself is moved by a song, it, it just makes it all worth it. You know what I was now that I'm a deacon and I actually have have officiated a few marriages. I thought, oh, this would be a great gift for a married couple, mm-hmm. a couple that's getting married. So uh, so maybe a plug in there for our listeners. If you're looking for a good, cheap, <laughs> not that <laughs> it's cheap, but not not expensive gift that's going to really move people. 
Um, check out Mark. Now, Mark, <laughs> you've, <laughs> you've been... <laughs> Did I just say it was chief? <laughs> that's terrible. Um, your blog, you, that's, uh, you, would you say the, the largest part of your ministry right now? You're, you're reaching a lot of people through your blog? Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it is the, the biggest reach. Uh, tens of thousands of readers coming there mm-hmm. every month to read it. and uh, We've talked about it before. Yes. Um, the blog really is shifting right now. I think people have woken up. My first writings were a lot about the times that we're living in to wake people up. Yeah. People are waking up. So now where I'm focused is on getting people to walk in hope, to walk in faith, to walk in light, to not Good. Uh, build bomb shelters and hide, no. but to actually, um, this is the time to shine like light and to be salt and light. And Really, I'm just following the footsteps of the popes. And uh, yeah, good. Pope Francis has just picked up beautifully, I think, where Benedict left off and and uh, is leading us down that path of a deep relationship with Jesus that is authentic, and that's the light the world needs. That's great, great. And good plug in there for salt and light. Um, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Pope Francis, yes, I know. I know if, if anybody ever really wants to really digest what the Holy Fathers are, are doing, you should read Mark's blog, because he's certainly very in sync with church and church teaching and church authority and what the popes are saying. Um, Mark, any new albums? Before I let you go, any I guess any more songs that are coming down the pipes or? Well, I, I have to tell you, um, uh, it's it's in it's secret, it's in the makings. But my three daughters have absolutely gorgeous voices. Really. And my eldest daughter and uh, the second one are, are actually incredible songwriters. And I, I say this objectively as a songwriter, uh-huh. admiring what their work is. I think the album that these girls are going to put out is just going to be oh stunning. Oh, my goodness. Make sure that we play it first here. Yeah, we, we'll Salt certainly Light send Radio. it to you. And I'm uh, also working on, a, on, on recording some psalms, and I'm thinking of doing an album with my daughters on that. So oh, that would be us. great. That would be good. Good. So, so lots of good stuff uh, coming. God Mark, willing. keep keep doing what you're doing. Um, uh, say hello to Leah, your wife, and, and, and your kids. I've, I've met them a long time ago. Yeah. But I guess I have to come out to Saskatchewan and visit. You're always welcome out here in the prairies. There's, I know. there's only a few few of us here left, so. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a cow. <laughs> you have, have a, cow. a cow. Anyway, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Pedro. God bless you. That was Mark Mallet. You can learn all about Mark, read his blog. You can book him for an event or purchase his music at his website, markmallet.com. And here now is Mark with that title track of the new album, Vulnerable.
Cause I don't wanna be alone I'm telling you I am vulnerable To love is to die to self again To open up and let the unknown Perfect love casts out all fear It doesn't hold back every tear But I would rather sail with you near So I'm telling you That's my heart in your hand That's my soul in the sand And I'm letting you tear this castle down I'm stepping out of my zone I don't want to be alone I'm telling you I am vulnerable the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. There have been many, many books written about evangelicals who've converted to Catholicism, and I find all these stories very interesting because they all give very real reasons why Catholicism makes sense. But there aren't many of these who present stronger arguments for the central role in sacred tradition and divine revelation than a new book called By What Authority by Mark Shea. Um, as an evangelical, uh, Mark Shea subscribed to the notion of Scripture alone, sola scriptura. And that is that means that everything we need to know is found in the Bible. But as a Catholic, Mark discovered the place that sacred tradition has. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Mark Shea. Mark, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. Glad to be here. So this is the question uh, that I ask every convert I know. What attracted you to the Catholic Church? Oh, golly. Well, in, um, in, in two <laughs> sentences or less. Yes. Well, uh, lots of things. Uh, it, it, it winds up sort of like being the, the spokes on a wheel, you know? Uh-huh. Every, it's not that one thing uh, 
attracted me is like so many things attracted me. You know, okay. uh, so the truth of the faith, the 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 the, the common sense of it, uh, the church's uh-huh. teaching on so many things, the beauty of it, uh, attractive. Mm-hmm. The saints are attractive. Was the church's view on Scripture part of what attracted you to the Catholic Church? Well, not initially. Uh, initially, I was like most evangelicals. I just assumed that sacred tradition was one of those things that Catholics uh, came up with as a way of excusing weird things that they believed that you couldn't find in the Bible. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> like purgatory and... Uh, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, yeah, Saints, so the questions yeah. would be things like, well, you know, show me the word purgatory in the Bible. <laughs> and that works really good until you realize that the word Bible isn't in the Bible yeah, either. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, then you start realizing, well, of course, you know, over time, what the Church will do as different questions arise is the, the Church is going to... Uh, come up with its own vocabulary to try and explain ideas that are there in Scripture, but the the apostles were not writing the big book of everything. Uh, you know, so there was going to be work for the church to do. You know, the classic example of this is is the church's own formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity, uh-huh. uh, right. which took place you know about three centuries after the time of the apostles. Right, and if you read scripture you can actually see it evolving that notion of the trinity. Right. Yeah. Um you know as a a priest friend of mine once said that you know revelation is not like deriving the answer to a math problem. Revelation is like falling in love. Yeah. You know, so yes. you're walking down the street minding your own business. You didn't get up that day and say today at 3 3:15 I'm going to meet the woman who's going to change my life forever. Right. And she's going to look like this, and she'll act like that, and she'll say this. Uh, instead, you're minding your own business, going shopping, and suddenly you turn a corner, and, and you, yeah. there she is. You trip, yeah. Revealed <laughs> to you. And exactly the same thing happens with the apostles. The, when, uh, when the revelation happens, the apostles aren't expecting it. No. They don't get it a lot of times. You know, they're not, they're not following it. It isn't until later that the Church looks at the events of Christ's life and says, Oh, okay. It was staring me in the face the whole time, and we didn't see it. You know? Well, one of the one of the uh, explanations that I've always, uh, or that has made sense to me, and I love the fact that you said that it, the church, the Catholic teaching makes sense, um, is that it's the the ch- Jesus founded the church, and the church gave us the scriptures as, right. as we know them, and not yeah. the other way around. And, and that was the first realization for me was uh-huh. that uh, that you know how do we know which books belong in the Bible? Uh huh. Well. You know, there's one page in the Bible, at least, that we know is not inspired. It's called the Table of Contents. <laughs> uh, and yet, you know, as evangelicals, we agreed with Catholics on what books belonged in the New Testament. But yeah. what, you know, what was striking to me was to discover that Martin Luther didn't agree with us evangelicals or with Catholics uh-huh. on what books belonged in the New Testament. He wanted to get rid of... Uh, James and Second Peter and right. the Book of Hebrews, and he wanted to get book, rid of the Book of Revelation uh-huh. with a, you know, an argument that I think a lot of readers of the Book of Revelation can probably empathize with. He said a revelation ought to reveal something, <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and he's not the first person that's had that thought cross their mind when they're reading the Book of Revelation, um, and yet uh, we evangelicals didn't agree with him. We said he was wrong, but if you ask any evangelical why is he wrong, uh, 
getting an answer to that question would be really difficult for yeah. an evangelical because what basis is there for deciding which books go in the Bible? Right, right. And so what I began to look at then is, is that the only place where we're making, basically, as evangelicals, making use of Catholic sacred tradition? Uh, or are there other things? And one of the things that I began to realize, and I talk about this in the book, is that there are actually lots of places where evangelicals firmly believe as a kind of dogmatic belief uh, things that are not at all clear uh, from Scripture from itself. Scripture, like what? Can you give us an example? Sure. Uh, the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> scripture, you know, doesn't talk there. about this much. Yeah. And when it does, it's kind of blurry. Uh-huh. Uh, and yet, Catholics and evangelicals agree uh, that this is uh, this is uh, the teaching of Scripture. How do they do that? Well, evangelicals do it by receiving sacred tradition from their Protestant forebears who got it from the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. Uh, what the Catholic Church does is it frankly maintains right from the start that uh, the, the teaching of the apostles is handed down, as Paul tells the Thessalonians, uh-huh. uh, in Second Le- yes. Thessalonians 2.15, it's handed down whether by word of mouth or by letter. In other words, yes. whether by the tradition of the apostles or by the writings of the apostles. Right, right. And in fact, even in Scripture, it says that there's more to Scripture. I'm thinking the end of the, the end of the Gospel of John, that many things are not recorded in this book. Right. There, there are all kinds of things, <laughs> says John, that, you know, they're all, of course, there's a lot more about Jesus that is remembered uh, and preserved in the life of the church, then right. gets written down in Scripture. Right. Uh, which only makes sense, because, you know, when you actually look at the Gospels, what you get, uh, I think I remember Benedict Rochelle mentioning, that if you, uh-huh. tal- if you tallied up all the different stories and accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, basically you get a sum total of about 100 days out of the life of Jesus. Right, yeah. And really more. what you're looking at in the Gospels uh, are, as one famous uh, summary of the Gospels was given by a German theologian about a hundred years ago. He said that the Gospels are passion narratives with long introductions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I've heard that too. Yes, and now, yeah, and, and and that really gets us back to how do we know what books belong in the Bible? Which was the central question of by what authority? Mm-hmm. And the way we know what books belong in the Bible, and the reason that, for example, the New Testament is called the New Testament, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. If you had talked to uh, uh, a Christian in the first two centuries of the Church and asked him, uh, what is the New Testament? He wouldn't have pointed you to a collection of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in Greek, the New Testament, the New Diatheke, the New Covenant, it's all the yeah. same word. Uh, yeah, that has a real referent. It's called the Eucharist. Uh-huh. And so how did the New Testament get to be called the New Testament? It got to be called the New Testament because... The Church said, these are the books that we read in close liturgical proximity to the new covenant covenant in my blood. In other words, the cup. Right. Uh, And that's really where the Bible came from. The Bible came from uh, the Church uh, uh, using these books in liturgy. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me something. So, this is fascinating to me, and and I'm sure it is to our listeners. So... Your book, by what authority? Is it an uh, apologist book? Is it the story of your experience? Are you trying to convert people? Who is this book for? It's written for evangelicals and the Catholics who love them. <laughs> uh, it's written, yeah, straight out of my experience. 
basically my own puzzling through of, of these kinds of issues uh, and looking at the question of, uh, you know, how, how do we know what books belong in the Bible? Right. Um, you know, there are various incoherent attempts. One of the things that I look at in the book are uh, uh, attempts from an evangelical perspective to answer that question without relying on sacred tradition. Uh-huh. That is simply not possible. Uh, it can't be done, and I proved it nine times. <laughs> right, right, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to reading the book, and, and I hope that our listeners are too. We're going to have to leave it there, but thank you very much, Mark, for writing the book and for all the work that you do, all your writings, and uh, we hope that many more books are coming from you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Mark Shea is an award-winning columnist for the National Catholic Register and a frequent contributor to Our Sunday Visitor and other Catholic publications. His newest book, By What Authority? An Evangelical Discovers Catholic Tradition, is published by Ignatius Press. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Audrey Assad, with Good to Me from her new album, Fortunate Fall. I put all my hope on the truth of your promise. And I steady my heart On the ground of your goodness When I'm bowed down with sorrow I will lift up your name And the foxes in the
That was Audrey Assad with Good To Me from her album, Fortunate Fall. Now, last June, we were thrilled to finally have Audrey Assad on the program. Audrey is probably one of the busiest Catholic recording and performing artists in the planet. Last year, Audrey released her second album with Sparrow Records, Heart, and that's when we spoke to her. And then after a successful Kickstarter campaign, she spent the good part of last year producing her latest album, Fortunate Fall which we've been listening to. And so we welcome Audrey back to the program. Audrey, it's so good to have you back. I know you you're, uh, had a late, light, late night last night. It is true, but it's good to be here. Um, 10 a.m. is not so early in Nashville. So <laughs> 10 a.m. is not so early. Yeah, I was just wondering, when, when you're on a like, recording, you're not, you're, those aren't early mornings that you have to be recording at 8 in the morning or anything like that, right? I start around 10, but I don't sing at 10. You don't um, sing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, I get, I get going at 10 o'clock, you know. That's good. That's good. I I know some, you hear some stories about artists that, that, that like, they like to record overnight. So they're recording like at three in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, That's not me either. I gotta fall asleep. Yeah. That's good. By midnight or I'm pumpkin. So. (laughs) So I, I, I was listening to uh, an interview with one of the founders of Kickstarter just the other day. And you know, the whole Kickstarter, can I call it a phenomena? I mean. I think so. And I, I think that for artists like you, it makes sense. You're you're in in essence um, pre-selling albums to have a sense of how much interest there is. But I mean, it doesn't mean that people can only bo- give you the amount that the album is worth because I know people can give right. you a lot more money. But why did you choose to go to go that route? Well, I had been on a record label for a few records, and the way that record deals are structured, I you don't really make a lot of money off your record sales. You make more money off touring and other things right and so I came out of the deal um, not really in any different of a financial place than I had been before I signed it (laughs) and so I was like you know I need to get a record out there it's been a year and a half it's time you know I just don't have $40,000 sitting around which is the great gift that record labels can give you is to fund those albums for you so because I didn't have that and because I knew that I had a really amazing fan base I, I wanted to sort of huddle them in a little bit and sort of bring them around the mission that I felt I was sort of changing into because I was shifting like into more church music focused career and so I thought Kickstarter would be a really great way to do that to not only obviously make a record but also to really connect with the fans about what was happening in my job and my ministry and it really did both of those things. Okay so I was going to ask you so it it did did you find that 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 the fans feel like they have something more at stake Definitely. in this album, that it's more oh, theirs? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel that we really, um, I guess, I, I felt that, you know, maybe we even shrunk our fan base slightly mm-hmm. in the sense that we were getting more specific about who, you know, would love this album. And, and, and I think that was actually what I wanted. I wanted to have more of a tribe and less of a, you know, vague mass of people that I don't really understand anything about, you know, who just buy albums and that's all there is. And 
you know, I can't be best friends with everyone, but I wanted to, I wanted to have more of a connection to those people to understand more about who they were and what they like, you know, and what they do. Right. And I think Kickstarter really did that for me. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a great, uh, <laughs> a great venture. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about this album. Why, why the title, Fortunate Fall? Well, the way that I write typically is I, I wait around <laughs> for a while until I find an inspiration and then I just uh, run with it. Right. And sometimes that means I carve out three weeks of time to write uh, you know, some songs and it takes me four days to really even get going. Um, and that was kind of the case with this. I had, I had done the Kickstarter and I had about two weeks or uh, three weeks or so I think that I, I wanted to write some songs for the record because I already had a few. Uh-huh. And I was sitting there for a few days, nothing, you know, just nothing going on. I was reading and checking out stuff and whatever, you know, praying. And so then I came across the context of where the line in the Exultant comes from that says, Oh, happy fault. Mm-hmm. Oh, necessary sin of Adam that gained for us so great and glorious the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, of course, sourced from an Augustine quote about God judging it better to bring good out of evil than to never permit evil to exist. Right. And fortunate fall was an alternate translation of the phrase, oh, happy fall. There's something about the words that the two words together mm-hmm. really just lit a fire under me, and I just wrote the whole record. Uh, I scrapped all the other songs and wrote the entire album really? um, after having thought about that for a day. And so I just feel like it was what I don't know. I just waited around for that spark, and I felt like that was what was there, and so I I ran with that. So do you? I, I've spoken to Sarah Hart a lot about songwriting, and she's probably like the queen of songwriting. But do, <laughs> everybody's got their own thing. Do you? Do you then really feel that the songs are gifts? You have to wait until the it's a gift that's given to you, or or where do you think these songs come from? I mean, well, you know, it's tricky. I I'm not exactly sure because I think there's a a need for some theology behind that kind of thing. Like, yeah. I don't know if God hands me songs. I, I, I really don't understand it. It's a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. I just know that when it comes to writing church music, I won't say the same for pop music, but right. when it comes to writing church music, I have a very hard time contriving anything. It's like, it's really difficult for me to go, I want to write a song about, you know, somebody yeah. who lost their child and and you know there's nothing wrong with doing that it just doesn't come easily to me to yeah. not write from something more mystical than right, that and kind right. of personal and so i can't speak to it as you know for other writers i just know i have a hard time with that kind right. of writing when it comes to church music uh-huh. so i don't and, know how it happens no and, and it's how it works for me and you would describe this album as church music i would i think it has a mixture of corporate prayer songs, like Good To Me is a perfect yeah. example. Whenever I do that at the concerts or at the prayer nights, as I'm calling them now, um, yeah. people are well able to kind of sing with me and pray all together. And then there's a few songs on it that are sort of more meditative and a little bit more suitable to private devotion, I guess. But it's a mix of those two things in such a way that I would say it's for the church, it's usable by the church in a lot of ways, and I was thinking of the church as I wrote it, so I hope that it came out that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. No, um, and you're right. Good to me. It's, it's such a such a nice song. Um, I know you do some art. Did you did you design the cover 
as well? Actually, did not. This was designed by a guy in California who's a youth minister, as a matter of fact, that we met at a church when we went to Mass in Pasadena last summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out to be an art student. Right. And we looked at his work, and my husband said, this guy is, like, incredible, you know? And he right. doesn't even have a website or a portfolio or anything. And uh, we just kind of kept him around, like, for when we would need somebody and okay. I sent him you know some demos and like a color palette and the theme of the record and he came back with that crane yeah okay flower petals and leaves and I thought I don't even want to see another idea like I love this it's okay incredible. so because yeah uh, can you explain it for people like yeah. me that don't get it so the bird the crane what's yeah, up with that the crane is an eastern ancient eastern Christian symbol of vigilance and also of the Lord Jesus and Okay. He uh, was really kind of, I think, moved by the idea of fortune and fall in the sense of that paradox of, uh-huh. of sort of like, you know, good and evil existing some way in harmony that we don't understand in God's wisdom. So he used um, both dead and living petals to build the picture. And he did oh. sit outside and arrange that and photograph it. So it's a photograph of, you know, all these petals and leaves um, arranged in that way, living and dead. And so... Okay, wait, so There's it's not a painting. He, he actually did it with not real... not a painting, yeah, it's a photograph. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wow. It is yeah, beautiful. Yeah, he uh, put a lot of thought into that. I was wow. very, very blessed by his work. Wow. I thought it was so beautiful. Audrey, it, it's been so good to speak to you again. You're doing thank good work, you. and we love the, we love the music. Me. So we're playing thank it. Um, so thank you. Audrey Assad's new album, Fortunate Fall, as I said, is now available. You can find Audrey on Facebook. She's on Twitter and also, of course, on her website, AudreyAssad.com. That's Assad with two S's, AudreyAssad.com. And here now is Audrey with another song from her new album, Fortunate Fall. The song is called You Speak. You listening to Audrey Assad with You Speak from her album Fortunate Fall. That concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Also look for Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. You
So.